0: 2001. On that day, uh, 19 Al Qaeda terrorists in spectacular and headline grabbing fashion uh, attacked our nation in uh, New York City at the Pentagon and on United Airlines Flight 93 that went down in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. Uh, 2,977 people. Uh, were murdered that day. And as I l- thought about how our nation responded uh, that day and in the period thereafter, I, I thought of two real responses. Um, I- I'm sure many of you have the same thoughts as me. It was a time when we came together. Was it not? Say amen. Was, it, was that a time that we, we came together? Um, we stood together. Um, we, we, we stood especially with compassion and grief for those uh, first responders and those uh, families who lost loved ones in that day. Um, it was a unifying time. It was a time when, when people were thinking about what it w- means to be an American and flags were flying and people were coming together. And we had a gathering that day at, at our church where people came together and prayed. And, and we as a people responded with compassion and mercy. There was also a response from the government. There's also a response by our military. Uh, Operation Infinite Justice was launched to dismantle and to take out Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. That continues today, now called Operation Enduring Freedom. It was the most tragic and defining day for our generation. But today, of course, I want to talk about another tragedy. I want to talk about a tragedy that does not grab headlines, that does not involve uh, world-renowned buildings like the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Uh, Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I want to draw our attention this morning to the massive and despicable taking of human life that is happening uh, across our nation. Since 1973, since Roe v. Wade, there have been 50 million babies killed in the womb by their mothers 50 million it is not an overstatement to say that we would be a different nation were those 50 million people with us today they would be pastors and teachers and and, and firefighters and law enforcement they would be our neighbors they would be our friends we would be a different and a much larger nation. And so if you calculate it out, it comes out to about 4,000 babies a day are killed by abortion. It is more than a September 11th event that is happening every day across our nation. Again, it's not happening in spectacular fashion. It's happening in abortion clinics. It's happening in hospitals. It is happening in doctors' offices in our cities primarily and in suburbs in every state of our nation. And so what this morning and what Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is about, and I was so excited as I've been hearing around our country more and more churches having Sundays like this in January. um, That's been encouraging. What this Sunday is really about is how do we respond to this? How do we as Christians and as a congregation and as believers in the United States, how do we respond to this? And let me just say first off one way that we do not respond to this. We, we don't respond to this as instruments of justice, as instruments of retribution toward the doctors or the women that are doing this. If we read uh, Romans 13, I'm not going to take the time to do that this morning, but if we looked at the first verses of Romans chapter 13, we see that God has ordained governments and the state to be the instruments of justice against evil that goes on in our civil society. It is not the role of the church. So that, that, that is not our responsibility to, to uh, seek vengeance. It is the responsibility of the government and ultimately responsibility of, the God, of, of our God. Vengeance is his, says the Lord. But we do have, from Scripture, a massive responsibility. A responsibility to defend and to protect life. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look at one of the most specific passages that challenges us in this area. And then we're going to look at how specifically we are to respond uh, to that. Before we get into his word today, let's bow our heads once again and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father in heaven, we, uh, we give you praise today. And we ask that you would strengthen us. Lord, we pray that you would give us your eyes and your heart and your tears for, for the murder, for the slaughter, for the loss of life that is going on in our, in our country, in Sacramento, in the suburbs, in the foothills. It is happening, Lord, all around us. And so I pray today that you would help us both to understand your word and especially, God, to respond to your word, and that we would respond in ways that bring you glory and that would protect and defend life. So speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'd open your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 24. This is the passage that we're going to look at primarily this morning. This is our text. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you today, um, it is uh, on page uh, 546 in uh, the Bible's in front of you, or in the chairs in front of you, page five forty-six, Proverbs twenty-four eleven through twelve. I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to make several observations on this passage, and then we're going to spend uh, the the remaining part of our time in application, in specific application. What would God have? How would God have us respond to this passage? Let me read Proverbs twenty-four eleven through twelve. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? So this passage begins with this, with this word, uh, the NIV translates rescue. It is, it is an imperative, it is a cry, it is a command, it is a call out to us. It is a call out to the people of God, to his disciples, to those who would follow God, that we are called to rescue those who are being led away to death. One of the uh, Hebrew dictionaries that defines this word rescue, uh, to snatch away, to remove, to liberate out of any kind of being held fast. So at the very beginning of, the, of this little saying, this proverb 24, uh, chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, we are, we are called to action. We are called to deliver and rescue those uh, who are in trouble. Specifically here, those who are being led away to death. So the first observation this morning is that this passage calls the believer to action. This is is a a verse that's shaking us. This is a verse that's saying, pay attention. It is your responsibility. It is my people's responsibility. The Lord is saying, it is my people's responsibility to respond to those who are are take, being taken advantage of, you know. Throughout a scripture, uh, there are four categories of people that we read about that we are called to uh, to help: the orphan, the widow, uh, the poor, and the immigrant. Uh, someone has called these four categories of people uh, the quartet of the vulnerable, and there is no one more vulnerable th- th- than babies. There is no one more vulnerable than, than a child, whether, whether that baby is in the womb or outside of the womb. Uh, that, that, that child demands our, our, our protection and, and us to speak out if there is something, something happening to, to take advantage of, of uh, that little one. So this passage calls us to action to rescue those being led away to death. Uh, a, a second observation is that the passage uses a general term uh, so the reader will not limit application to specific uh, crimes or victims. So uh, a, a critic might say, well, you know, this, this passage is not really talking about abortion. This, this passage is is, is is not mentioning abortion. And uh, on one level, yeah, this, this passage is not specifically referring to abortion, but it is intentionally speaking in general terms so that we won't limit our application to whatever situation uh, is, is is happening in a particular culture at a particular time throughout the history of God's world. So this is a general tr- term that would have included and, and would have been applicable to uh, the Jews who were being slaughtered in Germany. It, it, it was right and it was a tragedy that so few Christians stood up to to protect and defend human life in that setting. This passage would apply to the Kurds in Iraq who were who were taken advantage of and who were weak and vulnerable. The Christians were to stand up for those kinds of situations. And this passage applies in our situation today where we have uh, something more significant on a tragic level than September 11th happening every single day. The passage uses a general term so that, the, so that we will not limit our application. This passage also applies to bullying. Have you seen bullying has been in the news uh recently because of of suicides have, have you seen have you seen bullying in the news uh this is something that's going on a- as believers in the lord jesus uh our our christian students that are on campus when they see bullying they should stand up to protect those who are weak those who are being uh, those who are being uh attacked in that sort of way uh, a way that is far less severe than murder what this passage is specifically alluding to, but this passage includes a variety of things. One commentator writes this, he says, in whatever way or in whatever place, the lawless pervert justice, the disciple must show his mettle and intervene and not act cowardly, nor ignore or pass by the wrongdoing. This is a passage that is calling us to action. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward slaughter. Uh, A third observation uh, on this passage, Uh, the passage assumes that the murder of another human being is not only a crime against the individual, but it is a crime against God himself. And we see that in these rhetorical questions that come out in verse 11, that God is the one who's going to weigh the heart and that judgment is going to come. This is not just something that has to do with a a horizontal level, but this has to do with with, uh, a crime against God. This is something that he is completely and totally against, the taking of, of human life. Genesis 127 is one of those foundational verses. The Imago Dei, we, we describe it. The fact that every human being has this dignity and this uniqueness because we are made in God's image. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is really the foundation for our understanding of, of why we would protect and defend human life, regardless of whether people are believers or not, every human being is made in the image of God. So it is our responsibility to protect and to defend. It is the Lord's responsibility to bring out justice to those who, bring, uh, who, who commit these crimes. Romans 12:19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So a few more observations uh, on this passage. A fifth one. This passage assumes, uh, or, or, or uh, number four rather, this passage anticipates that murder and other crimes of injustice are often disguised, hidden, or explained away. The enemy has a way for uh, abortion to, to be uh, characterized with with false language and, and, and couched and, and, and described in ways that, that, that have an impact on us and so that we can go uh, and, and live our lives without thinking about the weight of what is going on. And I want to uh, open our eyes uh, to this. Uh, the reality is that if we want to boil abortion down to, to what is happening, what is the debate, what is the real issue? The real issue here is a competition between uh, two rights – one is a woman's right to kill her baby, and on the other hand, it is the right for that baby to live, to exist. That is, in a nutshell, what this issue is. But God's word here in Proverbs 24 anticipates the reality that throughout human history, as, as the enemy has been at work, and there has been evil, and there has been the slaughter of human beings, it happens in ways that, that are sneaky, and ways that seem Justified or seem uh, that 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 it's enabled for it to go on, and that is exactly what we are experiencing. Just uh, days ago, the White House uh, issued uh, this statement. Today marks the thirty-eighth anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that protects women's health. You know, I just have to stop right there. This is an example. Roe v. Wade does not protect women's health in any way. What Roe v. Wade does is allow women to kill their babies. But it is presented in this sort of way and in this kind of language that it is there to protect women's health and reproductive freedom and affirms a fundamental principle that government should not intrude on private family matters. I am committed to protecting this constitutional right. The word of God anticipates that there will be this kind of of slippery language and this kind of of cultural um, acceptance of something that is an absolute and outright evil. Uh, Another example of this, I was reading an article in the Washington Post uh, from, uh, from February 2010. Um, and uh, there's uh, an abortion uh, doctor, uh, Dr. Ball. And the article is, uh, the author of the article writes this Sipping coffee aboard a recent flight, Ball describes her state of mind and the state of affairs that carries her in anonymity each month to a clinic, to an abortion clinic, where she treats women who drive as many as five hours to see her. And, and her quote here I think to myself, what century do we live in? This is the kind of of cultural response that we are going to have as we take a stand for life. We need to be aware of it so that we can see it. People are going to say to us, gosh, you're so uh, old-fashioned. You're so back there. Women have these, these rights today, and it is couched in this sort of language. Proverbs chapter 24 understands that this is the kind of context that we're going to be in. And it is a passage that is calling us to not be taken in, but to, come, to be awakened and to be active and to be responsive to the tragedy in our situation, in, in our historical setting, the tragedy of abortion that is going on every day all around us. Another observation on this passage is that the passage assumes the omniscience of God and his ability to know the motive of every human being. Do you see that in verse 12? This is important. He's saying that we cannot respond, we know nothing about this, we all know about this. And we all know throughout history when there has been massive slaughters of human beings, it has not been a secret. It has been couched, it has been redisguised, it has been repackaged, but it has not been a secret. And so the passage is telling us that God knows our hearts, he evaluates our hearts, he weighs them, and he is going to judge us. And so this passage assumes the omniscience of God and his ability to know the motive of every, every human being. And in his mercy and grace, he's asking us to have motives that would respond to this. And then a final observation, and then we're going to move in the direction of application. This passage concludes uh, by declaring judgment on the disciple for inaction toward an oppressed neighbor and deceit toward God. And the deceit would be as if we were to respond, and none of us here this morning are going to respond this way, but if we were to respond as though we know nothing about this and we just go about our lives, uh, that would be the deceit. And then secondarily, that we would be judged for our inaction toward an oppressed neighbor. The New Testament speaks about a judgment for believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse 10, it says, "For we must all, and this is referring to believers. This isn't referring to salvation. This is a difficult, uh, a difficult teaching. Uh, we are justified by faith alone, and we are saved by grace alone, by nothing that we would do, but in some ways that I don't fully understand, we are going to be responsible. Before God as stewards for for the gifts that he's given us for the time period that we've lived in for the reality of the the slaughter of abortion that is going on and we're going to be accountable for all of these things for for the time that we have for the life that God's given us. We read of this in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12 is just a rallying car- cry. It is the Bible speaking out to us. We don't have the media doing this. We don't have the media uh, helping us as the media helped us as a country to come together and to respond to this tragedy on September 11, 2001. We don't have that. But what we do have is the eternal and inerrant word of God calling his people to respond and so what I want to do in the remainder of our time this morning is talk about exactly how it is that we should respond. What should we do? You know, I hope by this point you're saying, okay, what, what, what do we do? This is such a massive and huge problem and issue. Uh, what, what should we do? And there's many things that we can do, and I'm just going to give us a few of them. Number one is that we must live and speak the gospel. We must live and speak the gospel. This is not ultimately a, a political solution. Uh, There were abortions in California before Roe v. Wade. Uh, If Roe v. Wade were overturned this coming week, abortions would continue in California. In some states they would end, but in our state they would continue. And so the first and most important thing that I want to say is that we are called to live and speak the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has died for sinners, that he rose again. But we are also called to live out the gospel. And part of living out the gospel is living, is, is reflecting the value of human life, that we are made in God's image. And as this spreads, as this spreads, as, as a biblical worldview spreads, as the good news of the gospel spreads, then abortions will be going by the wayside. And this is happening. In my assessment of things, with the exception of Utah, Utah, Every state where the gospel has strongly permeated culture, another way to say it is every state where the where the church of Jesus Christ is very strong, abortions are going down. The incidence of abortion is, are, are, are low. Let me give you uh, a, a couple uh, examples of this. Back to um, the article uh, that I uh, referred to just a few moments ago in the Washington Post back in February. It describes the reality in, South Dakota. And let me just read part of the article to you. It says this The Planned Parenthood Clinic in Sioux Falls is busy on a January day. Out of state doctors have flown into town two days in a row, a rarity, and eight women are waiting to see Dr. Ball. The clinic might be any doctor's office, but there are clues the security cameras, the windows positioned to block prying eyes. There are bowls of mints and tissues to soak up the tears. The day before, three hardy opponents—this is how the media is describing believers—three hardy opponents quietly prayed outside in single-digit temperatures. But not, but not today. A ball, casually dressed in a Scandinavian sweater, jeans, and sneakers, leaves a security man's car and steps inside. Changing into scrubs, she is briefed by clinic staff on the day ahead. Here's the here's the part why I'm why I'm, why I'm reading this. With no South Dakota doctors willing to do elective abortions since 1994. Did you hear that? In the state of South Dakota, there has not been an obstetrician in that state since '94 who would do an abortion. The church of Jesus Christ is strong in South Dakota. And so the enemies of God, some of the enemies of God, the folks at Planned Parenthood, are flying in doctors from Minneapolis and Denver with, so, with, with security like the Secret Service has where they travel anonymously on airplanes uh, apart from their names so that they are traveling anonymously to carry out this evil that would otherwise be gone from the entire state of South Dakota. Just to finish the reading, with no South Dakota doctors willing to do elective abortion since 1994, the Planned Parenthood affiliate in Minneapolis coordinates the schedules of the doctors, three from the Twin Cities, including Ball, and one from Denver who takes staffing the clinic about one day a week. The statistics show that where the Church of Jesus Christ is strong, that lives are being saved. And so the primary application to this message is that we as believers would live out the gospel that our neighbors, that our co-workers, would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they will see what a human life is in a new way. Just to show you some more of these uh, statistics in South Dakota, restrictions on abortion right now in South Dakota. Abortion would be banned if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned. The parent of a minor must be notified before an abortion is provided. A woman must receive state-directed counseling that includes information designed to discourage her from having an abortion and then wait 24 hours before the procedure is provided. And that one is a huge thing. So what has to happen is a woman who's struggling about this decision, whether they should have an abortion or not, they're forced to go to the clinic, but then they're forced to go home. And then they're forced to come back to the clinic to make sure that this is something that they want to do. And in that intermediate time period, many choose not to have their abortion. Not all. And then fourth, public funding is available for abortion only in cases of life endangerment. So you want to see the restrictions on abortion in California? We have no restrictions. And I could put up all kinds of statistics that I will spare you about how abortion clinics are multiplying, like wildfire, especially in Southern California. We, we, we are way above the national incidence for abortion in California. And the Church of Jesus Christ is very weak in California. We have a very small voice. We have very little influence. And how are we going to gain that influence? It's not about influence. It's about honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ. And we are going to have influence as a byproduct of honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ as his gospel goes forth and His people come to faith in Jesus Christ. In states like South Dakota and Mississippi and others, where the church is strong, lives are being saved, and there is huge, huge progress that is being made. So we are called to live and speak the gospel. Second, um, secondly, we're called to speak the truth in love to a mother with an unwanted pregnancy. Now this is a place where, if we are out in the community, every one of us is at some point going to going to rub shoulders. Now, whether we know them well enough to know whether this is going on or not, but the statistics are overwhelming. And so many of us have had opportunities, myself included, over the years. Many of you have known people, women, who have unwanted pregnancies. And one of the things that we can do is we can love them. We can speak the truth to them. We can can befriend them. We can offer them help. We can get them connected with others who are going to help them. Let me show you how prevalent this is. These people are around us. They're on our high school campuses. They're on our college campuses. They're middle-aged mothers. They're, they're all around us. The statistics are, are this, that nearly half of all pregnancies to American women are unintended, and four in ten of these uh, end in abortion. About half of American women have experienced an unintended pregnancy, and at current rates, about one-third will have had an abortion by the age of 45. So let that one set in. These women are around us. By age 45, one in three women will have had an abortion. It is a stunning statistic. And so one of the ways that we can respond is by caring for them, by loving them, by sharing the gospel with them, by sharing the truth to them, by giving them a different perspective, whether we use a scripture or not, we can begin by, sh- by sharing with them, this is a human being, this is a life. Uh, President Reagan uh, put it this way, he said, I've noticed that everyone that is for abortion has already been born. That's a good thing to say. So live and speak the gospel, speak the truth and love to a mother with an unwanted pregnancy uh, a third application, we're talking about how do we respond to what God has said to us in Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. A third way that we can respond is by supporting adoption. Uh, we talked about this last year uh, at our Sanctity of Human Life Sunday a little bit more extensively, and I just want to simply say perhaps this is what the Lord would, would would have you do, to be involved in this or to perhaps uh, adopt a, a child. Um, the, uh, the Oliver family are kind of our resident uh, experts on this. Jen is teaching Sunday school in there right now. And, and perhaps the Lord would speak to you today about, about adoption. And, and if so, I would encourage you to talk with, uh, with Jen or, or Mike Oliver. So adoption is one of the things that we can do. Uh, a fourth thing that we can do is we can financially support those who are on the front lines. And so that's uh, what the baby bottle ministry is about. And uh, we've had these uh, in our house Uh, for many, many years is going around. And it's interesting when people walk into your house and they know your children are not drinking bottles anymore and they see, what? what do you have baby bottles around your house for? Um, We're just using these as reminders to pray. That's what Barbara called us to uh, earlier in the service. But we use these also to put change in, to put our money in. And then what we're going to do here at Cornerstone is encourage you to bring these back in March um, and just drop them in the offering plate. So we have a visual reminders. Uh, during the month of March as our offering plates are going by and they're full of baby bottles with with coins or dollars or checks in them that we'll then uh, pass on to the New Life Pregnancy Center where uh, Barbara's director uh, down there by Sierra College. So one of the ways that we can respond to this is to financially support those on the front lines. Um, The baby bottles are one way. Barbara has already mentioned prayer, that we would pray for those who are on the front lines. Um, These will serve as reminders and then finally, to join, to join those who are on the front lines. Perhaps God has, has spoken to you this morning or he's been working on your heart and, and you need to talk with, with some of these folks after the service and, and get involved in uh, face-to-face and interpersonal ministry with, with helping uh, the ladies or the men who are going through these issues. You know, I, I, I want to finish this morning on, on a positive note and how encouraging it was to hear Barbara's testimony. Uh, this week about this woman who came in who's thinking about an abortion walks into this clinic down near uh, Sierra College and is able to be referred over to a uh, pro-life obstetrician who who does the ultrasound and has decided to keep her baby we should be rejoicing over that this morning and we should be praying for that to be accelerated and for that to happen um, at that clinic and for more clinics and then instead of um, reading statistics about how many more clinics Planned Parenthood is is having in our state, that we would have more and more of these clinics that are going to be strong, that are going to be protecting the unborn, that are going to be defending life. This is what, this is what God is calling us to this morning. Let's bow our heads as we uh, finish this. Finish. Father in heaven, uh, this is a a huge, and massive, topic, Lord. It is overwhelming if we even begin to comprehend what is happening so quietly and so subtly in clinics and hospitals and doctors' offices. We pray, Father, that part of what has happened this morning is that we would have a view and a vision of the brutality, of the violence, of the slaughter. And that because of that, we would run to you and that we would trust you and that we would be people who would be living out the gospel and sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel to those that we know. Father, we pray for for women in our community, in our high schools, on our college campuses, middle-aged women who are pregnant right now, who are struggling with this. Lord, we know that there is a battle going on in the heavenly places, the spiritual places, and we pray that you would protect them from the evil one and from this subtle language and from the kind of, of way that this is marketed that is so contrary to, to your word and to your truth. Father, I also want to pray this morning for men and women who are here today who have either had abortions or have encouraged wives or mothers or daughters or sisters or girlfriends to have abortions. And I pray that we would know that abortion, like every other sin, was paid for by our Lord and Savior on the cross and that we are forgiven. And that we are more than forgiven, but we are made righteous by faith. And so we pray, Father, that there would be many uh, women who have gone through abortions that would, would come to faith in you and would be tremendous advocates and be able to minister to those who are currently struggling. And God, we pray that you would help us as a church. Lord, there's many more things that we could do. And we pray that you would open our eyes and that you would help us to do those things. Lord, we, we ask that you would give us hope that you would give us courage, that you would give each of us as individuals and families to talk about this issue, to pray, to perhaps join hands, and to give financially, Lord, so that we would be faithful to you and to the sanctity, to the, to the reality that you created life and every human being in your image. Help us to live that truth out each day in our lives. God, we thank you in Jesus' name.